And then he has sort of a helmet with a plume. Pilate is standing here, right? That's a sword too, why not? And the um, Jewish leaders come in, come in, and what's the first thing that they're not going to do? They won't enter. They won't enter. Why not? Right, and it's in the middle. They're in the middle of the Passover feast. There's some discrepancy. It's hard to know when during the Passover feast was it that Jesus' death actually occurred. Is the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, is that a Passover feast or is it not? Is it just another meal? likely that that's a Passover feast and the Passover that the leaders are talking about they did they did not want to be defiled but they wanted to eat the Passover that's talking about there was the feast of unleavened bread that went from the time of Passover for a whole week and during that whole feast time there were many special meals I mean how many of us have just one Christmas dinner in my family there are so many of us adults we can't get us all in one place for one meal so we'll have maybe two or three special meals you know oh Susanna can come at the beginning of Christmas, and then she's going to her in-laws. So we'll have dinner with her and the kids first. I'm the single one, so I'm the wild card. We'll have the <laughs> dinner with her first. And then on Boxing Day, we'll have dinner with Alex and his family who drove up from Virginia. Right? You, you have multiple special meals during a feast time, and that's what, what is happening here. But they still want to be able to eat the special meal. And they can't eat the special meal according to their stricter um, interpretation of the laws of cleanliness if they enter a Gentile's home. And Pilate lived here. When if, he, if he was in Jerusalem, he lived in the Praetorium. He lived in what was probably Herod the Great's old palace there in Jerusalem. So what's so interesting here, they're not going to come, they're not going to go inside, so they're all here, mob, mob. And I do like the way a lot of Jesus film people have put Jesus on the steps, but Jesus comes into the Praetorium. And so Pilate goes back and forth mm-hmm. and um, back and forth, which is really interesting because does that put him in a really solid position of authority? Mm-hmm. And some of the commentators are so great that he is like shuttling back and forth. I don't know. He doesn't know what he's going to do. He still can't make up his mind about Jesus. He really thinks he's innocent. They think he's guilty. He's going to have a mob on his hands. What is he going to do? And it's that movement back and forth that is so so beautifully captures what's going on inside of him and his indecision about what to do with this man, Jesus. Um, and this whole... Um, account when we see Pilate and Jesus together we don't get a lot of information from the other gospel writers about what that interaction was like between Pilate and Jesus there's one point later on where Jesus is totally silent we see him engaging Pilate here but later on he'll be totally silent and that um, that is what the synoptic writers picked up on and they emphasize Jesus's silence and so that's why modern scholars start scratching their heads and say well Matthew, Mark, and Luke said Jesus was totally silent, and in John's gospel, he's talking back and forth. He's silent at a very crucial point. Jesus engages him, and we're going to talk about the way he engages him, um, but then later on, he's going to be totally silent. And so Pilate's shuttling back and forth. Between Pilate and Jesus, there's a question of authority. Who is in control here? Who is the true judge who is the true leader over the people of Israel? 
Um, the term king of the Jews, the title given to Jesus, in some ways, Pilate is the inheritor of that actual title because he was actually the ruler over Judea. And the term Jew comes from the term Judean. It's sort of a compilation. That's what we have in the English, but it's the Yaudian, the Ju Judeans is, are the Jews. That's our English word, Jews, for Judeans. So there, um, Jesus is being called the king of the Jews. Um, and Pilate is the king of the Jews. Before him, there was a Jewish leader. Before Rome said, yeah, we can't do any more of these Jewish leaders because they're a mess. Um, before Rome put in their own Roman leader, um, during, during Herod the Great's time and after his time, there were Jewish kings over Judea. Um, and they would um, rule over the people of, of the Jews. And so the title, King of the Jews, could be said to belong to Pilate. Who is the King of the Jews? Is it Pilate or is it Jesus? And then the question is, who is the judge in this, in this trial? Who is determining the fate of whom? Is, I know, is Pilate in control over Jesus or is Jesus in control? So we see that conflict and we're going to see it in the dialogue. And then also, there's a conflict between Pilate and the Jewish leaders. It, it, what's that? Poor Pilate. Poor Pilate. He's going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And um, they have some things on their side. They play their trump card, and we'll look at that in two weeks' time. What is their trump card against Pilate that finally makes him decide? Am I getting this confused with, with when they... You are so right, Mary Kay. You're remembering yes. rightly because in Luke's gospel, while while this is going on, and John doesn't talk about this, but essentially while this is going on, and Luke doesn't go into very much detail, except that what he says is that oh yeah, maybe we'll draw Pilate's life back here, right? Don't do it. I'm she has a vision or something, doesn't she? She has a bad dream. She has a dream, and she says, this man is innocent. Have nothing to do with him. Isn't it neat that the Holy Spirit speaks to and through to a non-believer in order to bear witness about Jesus' innocence? Um, and so, okay, so we have this multiple scenes. Pilate's going back and forth. There's a lot of dialogue in the scene, in this back and forth which is really interesting. It's always interesting when there's a lot of dialogue because it makes you wonder what is going on. There's a lot of back and forth between Jesus and Pilate. And then the question from a theater standpoint, but even from a, an exegetical standpoint, when we're studying scriptures, the big question is why? Why do the religious leaders bring Jesus to Pilate? What, and what John says is that he looks right at their law, uh, or he looks, he looks, Excuse me. John looks at this interaction between Pilate and Jesus. Pilate says to them, Pilate says to them in verse 29, "What accusation do you bring against this man? What is your accusation?" And I'm kind of looking both at my dramatic elements bit and then down at the trial bit on your handout. "What accusation do you bring?" And the accusation that we find in other parts of scripture in Matthew 26, verse 65, in Mark 14. Oh, I started to put it on your sheet. I didn't put all of them. But if you say Matthew 26, 65, which is there, um, it 
said that Jesus is accused of blasphemy, and that's what happens in the Jewish trial before the Jewish leaders. Remember, the high priest tears his special ceremonial robes in anguish at the blasphemy that he's heard coming from Jesus' lips. Um, because Jesus' claims amount to a claim to divinity. And that's one of the things that people want to downplay. Oh, Jesus never said he was God. Have you ever heard someone say that when they talk about Jesus? He was a good man. Oh, I hear that a lot. I heard that a lot in the Northeast. We're just holier here in Birmingham. But I heard that a lot. Well, Jesus never said he was God. He said a lot of good things. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. But he never said he was God. He didn't come out and say in language that we can understand, I am God. But every way he was putting himself forward to the Jewish people, they understood that his claim was a claim to divinity. Who can forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. Who is this man who thinks he can forgive this this um, man's sins that he's just healed? That We see that all throughout the Synoptic Gospels. Um, then Jesus saying these I am statements in John. I am uh, the good shepherd. I am this. I am that. So anyway, blasphemy is what um, the accusation is. In Also in Matthew and Mark, it's said that um, they say that he was speaking against the temple when he said that in three days, you know, tear down this temple and in three days I'll raise it. He's talking about the temple of his own body because he is the new temple for the newly constituted people of God. For those who believe in Jesus, where is the place where we worship? We worship in spirit and in truth. We worship through faith in Jesus Christ because we are part of his body, which is um, not a physical structure. So he speaks against the temple, which to the Jewish people amounted to speaking against God himself. Um, and in Luke, um, the Jewish leaders say to Pilate, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. Remember that? They tried to trap him with the tax. Forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. So how does this accusation from a Jewish perspective of blasphemy get translated into the accusation um, before Pilate that he is treasonous? Do you see that how before Pilate, they're accusing him of treason against Rome. He is forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. That's what they want Pilate to accuse him of. Because what is the punishment for that crime? Capital punishment. Treason against Rome amounted to capital punishment. Why are they seeking out capital punishment and the kind of capital punishment that only Rome can institute? They're not looking just for a stoning. Isn't that sobering? And the reason, and, and we'll look at that and why it's not, not as despicable as it feels. It feels despicable to us. So Pilate says, he, their accusation is vague here in John. If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. How evasive. <laughs> and yet the term doing evil is more of a technical term in their language. What that means is he's, really making trouble and the doing evil even had overtures of magic associated with it. And Pilate says to them, he's taunting them, isn't he? Do you hear it behind his words? Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. You're allowed to, you guys are allowed to do this. We, we turn our blind eye so that you can deal with your blasphemy cases. We won't intervene. And then they say, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Well, no, but yes, they could, but not the kind of death that they're seeking. 
And we see that in verse 32. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken, to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And the word that Jesus has spoken is that he would be lifted up high and exalted like the serpent in the wilderness on the cross. What is it about the cross? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know it's a lot to follow, so I'm oh, sorry. I'm trying to go slowly. Well, maybe the Jews are trying to, to escape. When, when they say it is not lawful for us to put any man to death, maybe they're trying to get out of it too. They want him to do it and not us. Yeah, they don't want to dirty their hands that's in doing it. Yeah, that's possible, especially during the Passover. That's good thinking. I think too, in no nowhere in scripture or in the commentaries and the people who've studied it is there this. Well, this is why. But I'm gonna let's look at Deuteronomy. You're, you're leading me right to it. Okay, let's look at Deuteronomy 21 verses 22 through 23. And also, while you're turning there, um, Jesus has prophesied that he'll be lifted up, and he prophesied this in several times in John's Gospel, and I'm just going to write down the references if you're curious on your own. In chapter 3, verse 14, chapter 8, verse 28, chapter 12, verses 32 through 33. These are references where Jesus has prophesied that he will die by being lifted up from the earth. And what was it in Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 through 23. Would someone just read that? And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hangman is accursed by God. You shall not defile your, defile your land, which the Lord your God gives you for an inheritance. So, nowhere in scripture, well, you don't see this idea of death by hanging put forward in scripture as like this is a good thing to do. But one of the things when you read all the Old Testament, you'll see that there are examples. There's an example in the book of Joshua where um, the, the, the Jewish people were culturally similar to the peoples around it, surrounding them. You have to ask the question, how did the Romans get crucifixion anyway? Did they, they sort of, uh, I almost said the phrase perfected the art of it. Perfect, they perfected the art of the torture of it, as sobering <coughs> as that is. But it was being done by people for centuries all around the Mediterranean basin. And the reason why they would do that is because there was this sense of a curse associated with it. Because they associated suffering with sin directly. And so when they saw someone suffering to that magnitude, they said, he must have done something really bad. That must have been, he really did something bad. Stay away from him. Take warning. And that was the point of the hanging. That public um, hanging was, oh, you would walk past, and people would walk past and say, don't be like him, little ones. He did something really bad. And you see it all throughout history. You know, whenever, even in the um, in Joshua, you see it with these kings, these kings of the people surrounding them, they're hanged. And you see the Jewish people there even adopting this practice or knowing this practice of hanging political offenders or um, people who had done something really, really bad. 
Um, so Deborah, yeah, I'm, please. I'm, I'm, I'm a little confused. So, yeah, I know. So Sorry. Jews cannot crucify. Their capital punishment basically is stoning. The only capital punishment the Romans will allow them to do is, is stoning for blasphemy. So they want, and maybe the Jews want Jesus to be crucified because that is the worst. And they can't do it. So they're trying to get the so then the question is, why would, that's really good for you. What was that, Donna? In Pilate was a Roman authority. Yeah. Who, could, who would be able to say, who would be able to pass that kind of judgment that would lead to that kind of death? And so then the question is, well, why this death? And how do we interact? I, I don't know about you, but my heart stinks even thinking that. How could anyone do that to another person? How could anyone do that to Jesus, whom we love? Um, and revere. Well, um, if this, if Jesus was a madman and not who he said he was, and you, if you can imagine yourself to be a Jewish leader, your job is to protect the people of God from all heresy and most especially from any idolatry and apostasy. So if you were to look up Deuteronomy 13, you would see at the beginning of that chapter, it talks not just about blasphemy, but it's talking about the kind of blasphemy that is going to be a real danger to more people than just that person. And what it talks about there is it talks about apostasy, not just blaspheming God as the only God, but saying to the people of Israel, to other Jewish people, hey, let's go sacrifice to Baal over here, this other God. Let's go do this. I'm going to go do this. Why don't you guys come with me? It's that misleading other that is even worse than blasphemy. Blasphemy is bad enough, but if you're going to take a whole group of people with you, it's the end of the world. And the Lord hates that, and you see that in his law, because his strict worship is so important. And it's so important to the Jewish people because they failed to do it. They failed to do it, and that's what brought them into exile so many centuries before. Now that they're back in the promised land, they don't want to screw it up again. They don't want to be under God's judgment for um, disbelief and for mixing their worship of Yahweh with worship of other gods. And so anyone who would compromise the worship of Yahweh must be dealt with in the strictest of terms. And so when, uh, when someone was stoned, that was it. That was the end of them. But if someone was hanged, then he was shown to be an example for all to see. And that would be the best way to stamp out any kind of movement. Um, they just think about the disciples cowering in the upper room. They were shaking in their booties. They did not want to die the same death that Jesus was going to die. Um, that death was so horrible that, um, that those who followed Jesus, did not, they weren't there. They weren't there yet. Um, it, it, push back on that. Do you understand what I'm saying about that? That this particular kind of death for the Jewish people was seen as being so horrible a form of suffering. Part of the horribleness of the form of suffering, too, was the fact of the person's remains being exposed to the elements and to wild creatures. Did anybody ever read Antigone when you were um, in, probably in high school? That, that old play, Antigone, the Greek play, and nobody, sorry. Crickets, 
cricket. Bad enough referencing great literature, but then when it's really obscure, great literature. Well, so basically Antigone is it's this whole tragic drama, and it's hard to read those Greek tragedies because you keep wondering, I don't know about you, but whenever I read them, whenever I read Romeo and Juliet, in, you know, there's that awful last scene where one of them is, she's under the potion, but she looks dead, and Romeo goes to find her, and then he's going to have to stick a knife through his heart because his beloved is dead, and you're sitting there in the audience, and you're like, don't do it. She's just sleeping. She's not dead. And then you have to watch him take his own life. The tragedy is unbearable. So Antigone's tragedy, I always hated it because I thought it was so, I thought, really? You're going to die because they won't bury your brother? There are a lot of causes in the world, but I don't know if that is a cause worth dying for. So Antigone um, is willing to go to the point of dying just so that she can bury her, her dead brother's remains because the offense of having the remains of someone you love who's deceased open to the open air, unburied, so that um, predators and vultures and jackals could destroy, you know, take so the... Degrading. It's so degrading. And when you believe in eternal life and you believe that... Um, all, we believe in eternal life, and we want all of our remains to be... I actually don't like cremation because I want all my stuff to be in the same spot so that when I'm raised from the dead, Jesus can find it. Jesus is good. He can find it, but I don't want to be spread to the four corners. You know, put it all in one spot. Cremated, sure, but in one spot, maybe. Um, let's, not, let's, not have, let's not make it harder for him. Not that he can't do anything. He can do everything. But I just don't... I, you know, and so that is part of that understanding and that belief in the resurrection and saying, all right, we're going to, I want to leg up into the resurrection. <laughs> Make it easier. So all of this to say a hanged man was perceived to be cursed by God. This was the closest way not only to um, execute him for blasphemy, but then also to stamp out the movement. Remember in chapter 11 that these same religious leaders said, we have got to do something about this man. The whole world is going after him because he raised Lazarus from the dead. Everyone will be misled into worshiping someone other than Yahweh if they continue to believe in this man, if they continue to follow him and indeed even worship him if he is inviting their worship of him. So can you see how from their perspective, um, if Jesus was not who he said he was, then he, he needed to be stamped out for the sake and the spiritual welfare of the people of God, of the people of Israel. So while we look at their actions and the actions of the Jewish people as a tragedy, it does feel tragic. If we, it's um, easier, it's better to look at it as a tragedy than to get angry at them. For centuries and decades and years, people have said, um, in a lot of the, the Jewish um, pogroms, and then even the Holocaust was fueled by this anger, kind of a Christian anger that said, you killed Jesus. Well, the truth is not just that um, the, an ethnic people killed Jesus. The truth is that sin and unbelief killed Jesus. That's what killed Jesus. If we want to get mad at anything, let's get mad at sin. Let's get mad at evil in the world. But let's not identify it with one particular people group, even though, um, even though it really historically was one particular people group that went to Pilate and said, you've got to do something about this man, because if you don't, our worship of Yahweh will be compromised. What's so sad 
rather than get angry, we should pray for the Jewish people because the sadness is that the Messiah, the true Messiah that they've been waiting and longing and watching for there in Jesus Christ is right in their midst. And how does this little section end except that they choose Barabbas over Jesus? Barabbas, who was a revolutionary, he was in the rebellion. He was also a robber. The word leistes means revolutionary and robber because the revolutionaries would live off of the land. So they'd grab a sheep some, from someone's backyard here to feed themselves and you know pick the grain over there. They would live off the land um, and steal essentially from the people of the land in order to fuel their movement. So there had been a revolutionary movement recently and all throughout the first century up until AD 70 when the Romans come in and finally put an end to all the revolutions, um, there were these little fits and spurts revolutionaries would come forward and usually they would have a messianic claim. They would say, a lot of them would say that they were a messiah or the messiah and the people would hope that this human messiah would save them from their Roman oppressors. That was the hope and the ideal and these Jewish leaders were hoping for that kind of messiah. So when Parabas is presented to them opposite Jesus and I put a reference for you to, um, to Matthew in Matthew's Gospel, there is a variant. In Matthew's Gospel, one of the manuscripts lets us know more about Barabbas' name. Barabbas' name, Bar means son, and Abba means father. Bar- Barabbas was the son of the father. That was his name. It, that was his Jewish name. Who is Jesus but the son of the father with a capital F? And they choose this human savior who will deliver them from all that they think is wrong in the world, but who will not be able to deliver them from the wrongness within their own hearts. And that is the the truth of the problem. The diagnosis is not as severe. They believe the problem was not as widespread. Um, If the problem is not as widespread, then you need a little help. You need a temporal savior, a temporal messiah, a Barabbas. Um, And that's the tragedy in their choice of Barabbas. And we take that... we have that tragedy ourselves all the time when we underestimate the problem, the human problem, and we say, Lord, I just need a little help from you. Instead of saying, Lord Jesus, would you be Lord over my life? Would you deliver me from my sin? Would you deliver me from death itself? And day by day, would you come in, um, transform my sinful heart? Would you turn my heart of stone into a heart of flesh and cause me to want to obey you? so that I might be transformed into your likeness, Lord Jesus Christ. So when we look at Barabbas and we look at Jesus and we look at the the beauties of the Jewish people, um, we're not to get angry at them for for this action against Jesus. Rather, we're to pity them, just like we pity anyone who, um, who is involved in the tragedy of denying Jesus and disbelieving in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Can I ask a question about yeah. I'm going to pr- I'm, I'm pray and turn off the recording, and then we'll ask questions, and then we can go. Okay, thank you, Mary. So let's pray. Um, dear Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came not just to solve um, problems in the world, but problems in our hearts. Um, and so we see you standing there before Pilate in all of your humility, in all of your majesty, in all of your authority. And we say, would you be my Lord? Would you come in and transform my heart? Um, Would you change me? And give us eyes to see others as they truly are. Give us eyes even to see um, the Jewish leaders in um, this 
story through John and pilot in this story through John with your heavenly vision, with your eyes of mercy. And we ask this all for your glory's sake. In Jesus' name. Amen.